0: Keywords Volume 2 by Chan Master Sheng Yin. Why I Am a Chan Monk From Chan Newsletter Number 93 July 1992 Tibet Center New York City May 16th 1992 Some of you are curious about how I became a Chan monk The province where I lived in China was once prosperous, but it underwent a slow decline. By the time I was born, the region was impoverished. The land was fertile, and rice and wheat could be readily grown, but conditions were such that food was scarce. What I remember most was eating sweet potatoes. They were not of the quality we are used to here. We sliced them and dried them in the sun. Corn, too, was something I remember eating frequently. It was of the quality that was usually fed to pigs. I was the youngest of six children. My mother was already forty-two years old when I was born. She had no milk to nurse me with, and cow's milk was rare in China at that time. Even female dogs were unable to produce milk to feed their young. Animals were all emaciated. People, too, were malnourished it was not until i was three that i learned to walk and it was not until i was nine that i could speak with any fluency i then started school i completed fourth grade at age 13. while attending school i helped my father with his work at this time a local chan master looking for two novice monks to live at his temple was in some quandary about how to find his novices He prayed to the Buddha for guidance, and it was indicated to him that he should look south of the Yangtze River. The monastery was north of the river, so the master crossed to the side where I lived. A layman traveling in the vicinity happened to take shelter with us during a rainstorm. It so happened that he was a friend of this master, who had told him to keep his eye out for boys he felt might be suitable to become novices. This neighbor asked my mother if she was willing to let me leave home to become a monk. She answered, If he wants to become a monk, it is up to him. Our family is very poor. I am afraid that if he stays with us, he won't have enough money to find himself a wife. She added that I had finished the fourth grade, and she did not think that they could afford to let me continue my studies. The layman turned to me. How would you like to become a monk, young man? I didn't have the foggiest idea what a monk was or what a monk did. But somehow, the idea appealed to me, and I said, Yes, I would like that. The layman wrote my name and birthday in a notebook. I soon forgot about this incident. But about six months later, the layman reappeared and said to my mother, I am going to take your son now. I will take him north of the river to become a monk. During the intervening months, the master on the north side of the river had taken the date of my birth and put it before the statue of Guan'in, Avalokitesvara, and beseeched the Bhujisava to answer if I would be suitable for monkhood. He asked three times. Three times the answer was yes. When the layman came to take me to the monastery, I had no strong feeling about going or not going. Nevertheless, I was ready to go. This took my mother by surprise. Wait a minute, she said. I thought you were joking about becoming a monk. But the next day, I left with him for the monastery. When I arrived at the mountain across the river where the temple was located, it seemed that the whole of the mountain was given over to monastery buildings. In the main Buddha hall, I wondered who that big person was. That statue, which I soon learned, was of the Buddha sitting so serenely within. How could a human being be so large? The size of the main Buddha hall impressed me. It was so large that it would take at least 20 houses of the size I grew up in to fill it. To look at the Buddha statue, you had to bend your head way back. I thought, the Buddha really is different from ordinary human beings. Just after arriving, I saw another boy who already was a monk. His head was shaved, not in the usual Buddhist style, but more like a medieval Christian monk, with the crown shaved and tufts of hair on the side. I thought it looked funny, but I liked it anyway. I asked my master if I could have the same thing done to me. I always hoped to have my head shaved like that, but it never happened. My master thought I was too tall, and that I would look ridiculous, tonsured like that. My master began to introduce me to the other monks. There were so many, I could hardly remember their names. The monastic hierarchy was ordered such that each monk had one disciple under him until there were seven generations. The most recent initiate would be introduced to the monk above him as your master, and the monk above him as your grandmaster, and so on. I found memorizing this genealogy quite onerous. The master had been expecting two new novices. I had arrived, but my counterpart was late. This made me angry. After all, this boy was supposed to be my master, and I was eager to begin training. He finally arrived three months later. I asked him, what took you so long? You're very late. He replied, why are you so early? I was 13 then, and he was perhaps one year older. My master, this 14-year-old, had a 17-year-old brother who died in the meantime. Of course, Chinese mothers want to have grandchildren, so his mother asked him to return home, marry his brother's widow, and have children. When he left the monastery, my grandmaster became my immediate master. He said to me, I always felt that you should be my direct disciple. What was the training like at that time of a young monk in China? I had two teachers. One taught me sutra recitation and chanting. The other was responsible for teaching me non-Buddhist subjects. What did my master teach me? He taught me how to mend and wash clothes, plant vegetables, and cook. A young monk had to rely on himself for almost everything. At sixteen, I went from the countryside to a branch of my temple in Shanghai. This was a different experience. In Shanghai, the monks supported themselves by being hired by lay people to perform sutra recitation and chanting for their dead relatives so that they may obtain a favorable rebirth. Chanting and reciting kept us quite busy. It could go on all night and all day. We might chant in as many as four homes in one day and perform all the necessary funerary services as well. After doing this for more than a year, I had second thoughts. Is this all being a monk means? One day, I saw a copy of the Diamond Sutra, and I asked another monk what it was all about. He said, It talks about emptiness, nothingness. I'm afraid you might find it a little too deep right now. I asked him when I would be able to understand it. He said, Practice first, then you may be able to understand it. As I said, I didn't start school until I was nine years old. As you can imagine, my level of education was pretty low. I had a problem with the recitation of sutras, especially mantras. My master informed me that my karmic obstructions were heavy, that to remedy the situation, I had better do 500 prostrations to guanin each day. At first, this was exhausting, but after a short while, I could do six or 700 prostrations in two hours. In three or four months, I could memorize the sutras, and as well, my ability to learn in general had vastly improved. Soon, I felt that reciting was not enough. I wanted to understand the sutras. So I found a monastery that offered lectures on the sutras, and I requested my master's permission to attend. This other monastery required an entrance examination to attend the sutra lectures. My master helped me write an autobiography, which was what I thought they wanted. I even memorized it. As it turned out, they wanted a completely different topic, but they liked my essay, and thought my literary skills were very good, so they accepted me. When I arrived, I met monks from many parts of China. Some spoke with accents so strong that I could hardly understand them at first. Fortunately, The teachers wrote down the important points of the lectures on the blackboard. My memory served me well. I excelled on tests. In the first year, I ranked third out of 40, and by the second year, I was first. But if you asked me what I had learned, I would have had to admit that I couldn't really say. I didn't really know what I was talking about, but I knew that my answers were exactly what my teachers were looking for. I started practicing meditation at this monastery, but there was really no one to instruct me how to do it. The best I could do at first was to memorize sutras and shastras and repeat them in my mind during the meditation periods. When I asked an older monk how to meditate, he said, What? You claim you don't know how to do it, but your approach is very good. You certainly look like you know how to meditate. I didn't feel that way at all. I was pretty naive i pressed him further i've heard that meditation leads to enlightenment can you show me how to get enlightened what do you think he said to that at first he said nothing and then here maybe this will enlighten you and smacked me on the side of the head you want to get enlightened in one day we have been sitting here for decades what do you think we've been up to from then on I started to take part in retreats. It seemed to me that everyone else was sitting rather well. Interestingly enough, they thought I was sitting well too. Some commented, You will make a good Chan master someday. Why? I asked. Because we twitch and move and complain of leg and back pain, but you sit there like a rock, deep in practice, they explained. That's what you think, I said. I haven't got the faintest idea of what I'm doing. I just sit and repeat one sutra after the other in my mind. I repeat the Diamond Sutra, then the Shurangama Sutra, and so forth. That's all I do. They got a good laugh out of that. They said, It seems that you don't really have it, after all. That's when I first heard about Gong'an, Ko'en, and Huato. My practice began to improve. At age 20, due to the Communist Rebellion, I joined the Nationalist Army and was sent to Taiwan to be stationed there. While I was twenty-eight, while on military leave, I stayed at a monastery. I had been meditating all day, and was at the point where sleep seemed inviting. I happened to be sitting next to an old monk, whose name I later learned was Lingren, who continued to meditate despite the lateness of the hour. I asked myself, why is this old monk still meditating? What keeps him going? I wanted to sleep, but I was too embarrassed to stop sitting. My mind was full of questions about the Dharma, and I thought this old monk could help me. So I tapped his shoulder and whispered, I have questions, lots of questions. Can you help me? He nodded at me. All right, ask. I asked him a few questions in succession. He said, is that it, or do you have more questions? I certainly did, so I asked him another. He said, is that it, or do you have more? I continued talking and he continued asking if there was more. This went on for quite some time. I thought he was going to listen to all of my questions, and then cut through them all with some marvelous insightful answer. I asked more and more questions. I began to become anxious and agitated. Finally, Lingren hit the mat he was sitting on with a very hard slap. Now put all of this down and go to sleep. Suddenly, all of my questions vanished or said in another way, they were all resolved. To me, this corresponded to the Heart Sutra, where it says, Form is precisely emptiness, and emptiness is precisely form. This was a seminal experience for me. Many years passed. When I was 46, having lived in the United States for some years, I returned to Taiwan, where I happened to encounter Master Lingren, with whom I shared this experience. He remembered it, too. He asked me what I was doing in America. I told him there wasn't very much to it. All I was doing was teaching meditation. Master Lingren said, Even back then, I knew you would be a teacher, but you must have a lineage. He then gave me a Dharma name in his lineage and certified me as his Dharma hair. It was officially written down and signed. Another monk, the master's attendant, witnessed this interchange. He must have wondered what in the world was going on. Who was this person inheriting the master's lineage? It seemed to happen in a flash. I prostrated three times to the master and started to leave when the attendant approached me. So you're living in the U.S. teaching meditation. Will you teach me too? I exclaimed, I don't believe my ears. You're living right here with the master. Why don't you just ask him to teach you how to meditate? He said, you don't know what's going on. This master lives in a total state of confusion. He walks around in a fog all day. One of the lessons of this story is that karmic affinity is important. You may be in the company of a Bodhisattva or a Buddha, but without the proper affinity, it could all pass right over your head. It just so happens that this master is rather well-known in Taiwan. He was a second-generation Dharma heir of Master Xu Yun, Empty Cloud, who was perhaps the most famous Chinese monk of the 20th century. Master Xu Yun had a disciple who transmitted the Dharma to Lingren. In the Chinese tradition, it is rare to be certified in this way. When Lingren passed away, he had two Dharma hairs, another monk and me. Question, when you did the prostrations, did the teacher give you anything else to do? Visualization, recitation, or prayer? Sheng The master just told me to prostrate single-mindedly, wholeheartedly. He said nothing else. Question Do you recommend using gong-ans, Cohen's? From what you say, it sounds like enlightenment is a flash that completely empties your mind. Sheng Few use Gong'ans only. Most people use other methods, such as counting the breath. You may try using a Gong'an, but if your mind is too scattered, there is no point. In such cases, I often recommend prostrations. Enlightenment does not mean there is nothing in the mind. It means that we cut off our attachments to the world. This includes attachment to oneself. The Heart Sutra states that, Form is not other than emptiness, emptiness not other than form. Form is precisely emptiness, and emptiness precisely form. This is the enlightenment that is attained through practice. Question. I wonder how to stay centered and calm. I have a number of children. I am always running around. I come here as often as I can. When I am here, I am calm, but I easily lose it when I return home. I am always in a hurry sheng one very good way to calm your mind in a busy life is to follow the advice given to shantideva in the buddhisava's way of life also known as entering the path of enlightenment just practice mindfulness be aware of what the body is doing at all times as you practice mindfulness you are aware when your mind becomes unsettled and you can do something about it immediately. Mindfulness will settle the mind. This practice is common to all forms of Buddhism, but I came to know of it through Shantideva's work. Question. When you studied gong Ans, were you asked to go off by yourself for a protracted period and then come up with an answer? When working with the gong an, you should be familiar with the story and with the circumstances connected with the story, but you do not contemplate its content. You want to know the outcome, but you are not seeking a logical answer. You do not think. Sometimes, you use a gong an to attain non-discriminating mind. Question. When we learn meditation, why do we start with counting breaths? Why don't we begin with a more direct method that will focus on the void? Sheng For most of us, the mind is simply too scattered. There is no way for the average person to sit down and drop everything. The idea is to use a simple method, like counting the breath, to concentrate the mind. Later, you can adopt methods that will be focused on what you are describing. Question. I'm not sure I understand the story where you asked an endless number of questions and your teacher told you to put it all down. Does this mean you were your own teacher? Do you give yourself your own answers about the Dharma and the older monk told you nothing? Sheng You cannot really say that my questions were resolved by myself or by Lin The resolution was interdependent. Even though Master Lin gave me no answers, I would not have been able to resolve these questions had he not said, put everything down. And if I had not spent many years in practice, and I did not have a burning desire to resolve these questions, I would not have been ripe at the moment the Master struck the mat. It would have been a different story. So it is hard to say where the resolution came from, me or my master.